All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Action for Everyone, January 3rd, 2020, or I guess it's January 2nd. I can't keep the days straight. It doesn't matter. Time is a flat circle, but um, happy new year to everybody. Uh, and I am here wishing the best of happy new years to my esteemed colleagues and co-hosts, Liam O'Donnell. How are you today, man? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be back in Los Angeles and uh, happy new year to you gentlemen and uh, the, the the growing action for everyone family, which has been uh, really warm and, uh, and, and heartwarming uh, over this, uh, this little holiday break. And Vice Victus, happy new year, my friend. How are you today? I just wanted to uh, say I'm doing great. And I want to thank you once again, um, one more time on the air for um, our previous podcast that we did, uh, the uh, special episode of the uh, war film uh, retrospective that was really appreciated and hope everybody enjoyed that uh, if you haven't heard it please uh, check back in the on the uh, podcast uh play homepage and check it out um but beyond that yeah just uh getting ready for the new year just uh kind of taking it slow uh, getting ready for uh work to come and yeah so far so good yeah and thank you again for people who have listened to that episode uh that was that was special for me to record. Uh, it is people are enjoying it. The numbers are, are, are good, uh, especially for an episode that runs two and a half hours long. So, um, you know, I, we really appreciate that. So if you haven't heard it, it's just in the feed. So check it out. Um, this week we decided because as everybody knows, you know, Hollywood more or less shuts down. There was a little bit of news that came out, um, but we can kind of push that off and talk about it. You know, the big one being that RRR got postponed, which is a mega bummer for everybody. But um, what we wanted to do instead was kind of just do a little mailbag episode. I hear a lot of podcasts do mailbag episodes, and I always find them fairly enjoyable, especially, you know, you can almost always tell it's a little bit of a, well, shit, we don't know what else to do this week, which is not dissimilar to, <laughs> to us this week. Um, and we got some pretty terrific questions from all of y'all. So we're just going to kind of go through them uh one by one and uh we'll we'll all try and answer them to the best of our ability um i think i'm going to start off with with this this first one here really quick because it's it's an interesting one which is from scott wiley uh psycho gold on twitter good friend of the show uh asking us do we prefer our action to be dark and brutal or sort of light comic and entertaining the example he gives is think meals on wheels versus spl um and he, he kind of digs a little bit and says, I know the answer to this depends, but don't be boring. What's your preference? So Liam, let's start with you. How do you, which do you prefer? Uh, I definitely prefer, well, it's, it's kind of in the middle. I like, I like it somewhat realistic, but um, on the lighter entertaining side, um, I think dark and brutal is like, it's almost like a diet, right? Like I, I, I generally prefer, these type of foods, but every once in a while you want to have a great, you know, sushi. And that's like the dark and brutal, you know, like the night comes for us is not something I want to watch every single night. Cause you know, the, the, the level of gore and the intensity, I mean, even parts of the raid too, which is one of my favorite martial arts movies is still like, it's so, um, you know, much sometimes. Um, but you know, when you have them, it's like sitting down to this great meal that you can really, you know, dig into, but on a, on a whole, yeah, I'm definitely a more basic bitch who likes, uh, you know, entertaining and light and fluffy shit because, you know, I just, I, I don't need to have the, the darkest, most fucked up images like replaying in my brain all the time. 
Nice yeah. about you. <laughs> yeah. So in my case, uh, it's kind of similar to the uh, food analogy. Um, my taste is more of a, I have a specific uh, cocktail liquor preference. So, you know, like, yeah, again, like we also, we like all, all kinds of action. Um, but actually, I actually have a, a name for this uh, subcategory. What I, call it. I call it the, uh, I like the uh, dark, hard stuff. But specifically, it's like kind of the, where the drama and the uh, action express that uh, deep sense of uh, depression and noir. So I, I refer to this as the uh, black coffee action and suspense. Um, it's kind of like a, if you have if you ever have like a, a taste for brutal violence that's submerged in this dour, depressive sadness and like a grim pitch blackness. Like I, I like I I have a taste for that specific kind of movie. Um, so what do I mean by that? Uh, examples would be like Triple uh, Nine, uh, Donnie Brook, uh, The Veteran, Saints and Sinners. And we'll are kind of like a, not well known for the most part, but they're uh, but, but like you know we, we, talk, we talked about the Julian Leclerc's The Crew previously. Uh, another one here, uh, Seventy One. Like these very um, where movies where the violence is like the kind of driving impetus of the story, but uh, you you know it's it's. It's almost assured that there's not going to be any happy ending, or there's not going to be any catharsis. I mean, you know, and, and you know, I think it's similar to the concept of French noir, but again, this is way more um, action focused or violence focused, and you know, and also, uh, and it allows for a broader range of uh, origins. Like one example from uh, uh, the Philippines, uh, Buy Bust, that came out a few years ago, a really great action film. People call it, you know, similar to the like the Philippine, the raid in uh, the Philippines, but it's not really quite that. It's a uh, it's definitely more of a specific allegory about their political system, but it's also just brutally violent, and there's, there's really no like a good end to any of these stories. So yeah, the the, the black coffee action stuff—that's my jam. Uh, and it's even though it's yeah, uh, I guess I'm just kind of a sad emo boy at heart anyway. So you know, you I, are. I, I wallow in my sadness all the time. You know? <laughs> so this is my this is my jam, man. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for me, the way I look at it is I look at, <clears throat> I guess, kind of rewatchability. What what am I going to go be more likely to go back and rewatch? Uh, because certainly, you know, Jackie Chan's a master. Um, Scott Adkins and I declared him the greatest action star of all time. So I obviously support how how, you know, terrific he is. But I'll be honest, I watch Jackie movies and Jackie fight scenes and I love them, but I tend to not go back and revisit them as much as I revisit Donnie Yen's movies. Um, in particular, Donnie's, you know, sort of grittier urban action kind of movies like SPL, like Flashpoint, um, Raging Fire, you know. And so for me, I do think it's ultimately, I do like my action, maybe not more realistic, although sometimes I do, you know, I just rewatch Hydra and the fucking last fight in that movie is incredible. Um, I, uh, but I, I don't, so realistic's not the right word, but down and dirty, um, I do think I tend to like a little bit more than the highly sort of choreographed, um, lighter comedy stuff. Um, I am, I appreciate that, but I don't revisit as much. So yeah, I'm, I'm, and much like Vice, I'm also just a sad little emo kid at heart. So I, I always want, I always want my things. If you give me a little too much humor, I, I tend to, I, I tend to bounce off a little bit because I, I'm not funny and I don't find things funny. So <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just tends to not work as well for me. 
Yeah, I guess I guess it's uh I wasn't thinking about Jackie as like when but that makes sense for like the the light comedic to be entertaining. I I think I'm just thinking more like mainstream PG thirteen action is like more what I gravitate to than than the, the sort of NC seventeen level. But you know, I just from our, our conversation last week and I've still been rewatching the first movie. Like, like the matrix is still like a platonic ideal. And I think that's kind of not realistic. It can be brutal. It can be funny, but it's ultimately supremely fucking entertaining. And I feel like that. So it, it's not so much about uh, it, it's always, it's always somewhere in the middle with these things, you know? But yeah, I definitely I'm not going to be like, you know, watching like Ninja Turtles and, and stuff and being like, that's really light slapsticky stuff over and over either. That that kind of uh, like you said, like it, it's 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 a it's a mood with uh, with with the super kind of self-referential winking um, action as well. Can't eat McDonald's every meal. <laughs> Oh, I, I have tried, though. I will fully admit I have tried. because I still love McDonald's. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not one of those people. It's like, oh, McDonald's. No, I fucking love McDonald's. No, I've got four kids. Are you kidding me? It's like I, 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 I considered it like a real moment that I got them to eat Jack in the Box just so we could mix up our fast food. Yeah, and take. You, you, you put a couple of Big Macs in front of me. I will hoover those like Don Simpson in an 80s bathroom, man. Oh, like, I wow. will just Now we're rolling. This is a Sunday I'm, morning. I'm, I'm the, the cold pizza with the beer at 9 a.m. in the morning. <clears throat> sad about life, sad about my existence. That's the kind of movie cinema I want. That's what I crave. Why am I alive? What well, is like, <laughs> yeah, but like even like Shane Black is like a perfect example where it's fucking dark, can be brutal, yeah. but it's funny as shit and, it, yeah. and, and it's bleak. And so, you know, uh, anyway, great question. But I think we gave you enough, uh, like you said, uh, different answers that aren't boring. And just a, a little plug. Scott is actually starting his own podcast. It's called Action Addicts. He, um, it, I recorded a couple episodes with him this week, uh, specifically talking about Spider-Man No Way Home and Hydra. So he's going to be launching that sometime here in the new year. Uh, so that's part of one of the reasons I wanted to read his question first is to give him a, a little plug and a little boost. So everybody make sure to, to check that out. And I will let everybody know when it, when it actually drops. So, Hell yeah. all right, next one we got, um, our friend, Andrew Jenner, uh, Crom four wins on Twitter, uh, in Y'all's opinion, what makes for good gun combat in film? For me, doing everything in camera rules, over the shoulder, seeing the muzzle fire and the reaction, not just shot reverse, though I understand the practicality of the latter. Um, I, I'm i going to kind of, you know, I'm actually, I, I was going to initially, Liam, go to you first because you're the filmmaker, but I think I actually want to go to Vice just because he does have the much more real world experience with this, with this kind of stuff. Uh, so Vice, what for you works when you see gun combat in film? Okay, so this is it's interesting question because um well like action in general, there's the realistic way to do it and the heightened way to do it, you know, like uh John Wu's bullet bullet ballet stuff um has its own power that's unmatched, even though it's not realistic. Um so that being said, it's kind of a hard question. Um or well, I, I guess I'll frame it because that's just it's pretty it's a pretty broad thing. Like I said, there's so many ways to do it. Um, I guess I'll do it like in a more modern sense. What? Okay, so the ones, the problems I have currently 
with gun films is that um so oh okay yeah so in the whole bullet ballet stuff the gun or the gun fighting is just an expression of the other person so i think that uh when movies come along that find their own way of expressing this stuff they get copied endlessly and so my big i would say i'll, I'll start the question this way or answer it this way the problem with most actions is that they are too derivative of things that have come before it which is a problem with a lot of stuff but specifically gun, gun, gun battles like you know everybody wants to be uh next John Wick, you know, like it's like everybody wants to be the next John Wu. Now everybody wants to be the next 87 North, you know, so forth. Um, so what makes it good? Again, it's like a, when you have that, when there's a way to use the camera um, to evoke a certain feeling that's almost like the gun is not important. I, 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 maybe, maybe that's my question. Like when the gun is almost out of the equation is when I think it's, uh, it's really powerful. Um, I was on a podcast recently, the, uh, the Miami Vice podcast. And we, we talked a lot about uh, how Michael Mann's, uh, some of his footage, footage used and his use of digital. And in that movie, there's only a few sparse scenes of gun combat, but they're really effective because uh, they, uh, there's a sense of the modern, uh, we have a lot of modern, uh, we have a lot of footage of modern war thanks to uh, like GoPro cameras and our like more, more, more portable devices. So the intense, up close, feel of view of what it looks like to be in a, be in a gunfight is uh, a little more. Uh, it's more. It's part of our cinematic language more than it used to be. Um, so you, you, when when movies do that kind of style, good, you get into the almost literally the heads of the characters, see where their 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 frame of reference, their frame of uh, motion is. So yeah, so it's when you can find a way to have the camera express that uh, emotion and that uh, sense feeling where it's almost like the gun is a, a just a corollary to it. I think that's when it's the most effective. Um, I'm trying to give another example. Well, and then another another example would be uh, uh, as far as like, a, well, like you mentioned just now, I have experience, you know, with guns being in the army, but um, uh, well, first of all, you know, like, we, like I say all the time, our friend uh, Chris Ferreira, he's 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 the actual gun bunny, as he as he call himself. So he knows way more about the actual uh, the the reality of the gun battles. But I'd say you know I do I, I have studied this stuff and seen you know this stuff now. So like um so uh but another recent example of a of a a good modern type is movie the uh, the outpost um, from last year based on the uh, uh, battle in Afghanistan. You know, it's a kind of a, a siege kind of film, but uh, it's almost like a, they don't, the specifics of the battle and why it was so important and so disastrous relies a lot on the tactics at play, but the movie doesn't, it, it all at once, it's real to the tactics, tactics, because in fact, some of the people, some of the soldiers who survived that battle are in the movie itself as themselves, so they have that reason to it, but the, the, what drives the film is the emotion behind each soldier, each person in their own, in their own little vignette, how they're reacting to this uh, overwhelming, uh, this overwhelming ambush, this raid. So again, it's almost like the, in that case, yes, the gun, the actual uh, logistics and positioning where the guns is important to the overall reality of it, but it's not the focus of the of the drive of the movie. It's how the people are reacting in those moments. So yeah. So overall, my answer is uh, uh, if if you can make if you can almost make the movie 
the action, the gun battle without the gun, I think that's probably a, a good signifier of how well it's effect, how effective it is. Liam, uh, from a director's standpoint. Um, well, I can give a couple of anecdotes because I don't feel like I've done a great gun battle yet, but it's a lot of just like planning, right? Like we, you know, some of my favorite gun battles like Hard Boiled and, and The Matrix Lobby, it's, it's a lot of planning for what uh, Andrew was saying about getting everything in camera, right? Like you want to actually have interaction. And I think that that's the thing that um, people miss a lot from modern films, which is like, like, you know, Skylines we shot in 30 something days, which is actually really good for a movie of that budget um, in Lithuania. And we had, you know, we had a couple of, um, you know, second unit action days to fill stuff in afterwards, but like, there's just so little time for prep and planning that like, um, like Ronimitra's gun battle at the end of the movie. Like I literally like, <laughs> like the way that that's constructed is that I grabbed the, the Steadicam operator and, cause we have no previs, no real storyboards. And I'm like, I, I, I walked through the, the camp and I kind of <clears throat> worked with the first AD in the action and stunt team about where I wanted the different fights to be. It did kind of one long steady cam that was going to do their entire, um, you know, journey of to where they were going. And then, um, and, and work on each gag. And we would do it all in one long take, but I only had one real interaction point, which was, um, you know, Yayan kicking the alien into, uh, you know, uh, one of the, the shanty uh, huts. And for whatever reason, we just have a big explosion when he kicks him into the hut. Like, it's like, I don't know, he knocked over some gunpowder, whatever. Um, so it was just sort of like a very, very seat of, seat of my pants. And then, um, you know, we would go in afterwards and do more coverage of like, uh, you know, we switch to a tighter lens um, and, and get kind of more of the overs uh, Rona onto the creature in back. And, you know, then at the very end, when I, I felt like I still didn't have it, um, we had uh, the second unit used uh, Yayan, um, the actress who played Kate in a stunt double for Rona because she had left at this point to just do a drone master that would be fully digital aliens. And so we cut to that a few times that kind of sets everything up. But I, I think it's just an okay battle because I don't think that the story like has this like clear goal of what, you know, it's like, oh, we got to get out of this, this village, but it's not, um, you know, I'd say story-wise, like, you know, uh, I'm going to keep talking about the matrix today because it's on my brain, but like the, the lobby, it's like, you have to get through this lobby to rescue Morpheus. And so there's a very clear goal to that battle. And we've been told like, you have to kill every single guy in here to get up to there. Um, and, and you just look at the planning of that film and that all of these, uh, you know, columns are all rigged to be going off and exploding all around them and giving this such exciting imagery and moving into these, you know, between slow motion and, and, and wire work uh, and, and kind of amazing variation of shots. That's sort of like, you know, again, this, this ideal version of, of what a gun battle should be. Uh, and and, and I, I'd go back to the, um, you know, the, 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 the first big shootout in, in Hard Boiled. It's just so much interaction. They are destroying the set. The China is exploding everywhere. Um, that is sort of, uh, it just takes a lot of time 
and it takes a lot of planning and that takes a lot of money. And uh, with the more modern stuff, I think, um, you know, when you're, especially when you're in the, the lower budget world, when you just don't have all of those resources, it's a lot easier to just kind of run, run and gun and do um, CG, you know, muzzle fire and CG um, interactive explosions, stuff like that. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it certainly doesn't look as good as, as stuff from, from the heyday. And so um, that's like my goal um, for, for the next uh, movie that I get to, you know, hopefully do some type of gun um, fighting in is just, I, I really like, like I've been kind of hinting on this podcast that I love the John Wick films, but I would like to see more of a return to the, the John Woo sort of, um, you know, chaos of, of uh, in, in interactive uh, gods of bullets return, but we'll see. Yeah. So couple things I want to add to both of what you said. Um, Liam, I love that you brought up that Matrix fight because as you guys know, I, I drone on and on about this all the time. That Every fight scene, whether it's a gunfight or a martial arts fight, it should tell a narrative. And what I love about that Matrix lobby shootout is not just how badass it is, but it also tells the narrative because throughout that entire fight, you are literally watching Neo get stronger and more confident as he is a different person at the end of that lobby than he is at the start of that lobby. And that is so incredibly like visually well conveyed throughout that fight scene that uh, it's unreal. Um, Vice, you mentioned it earlier in the last question. If we're talking, Andrew, if you're, if you want to just see what good gun fights look like, I'm going to give you one name that you need to log into your brain. If you, if you don't know him already, I imagine you do William fucking Kaufman. Because he is just working on a level right now. You mentioned Sinners and Saints earlier, Vice. He is just working on a level right now that a lot of, especially in the DTV arena, that a lot of people are just, they're not even coming close to with, with how good. And what I love is, is kind of what you said, Vice. I want my gunfights to be extensions of the characters. That's what works the best. All the cool shit is, is awesome, and I love it. But if it's not... The thing that John Woo always did so well was he actually meticulously plotted every character in his movies had a specific gun. They had a gun and that gun was designed to represent who they were as characters. You know, in A Better Tomorrow, Chow Yun-Fat always had the Beretta 92s. That was that was his thing. That was his gun. But the other characters always had different ones. Lance Henriksen in Hard Target has that single shot, you know, like 30-06 uh, gun. Caster Troy with the gold gun, yeah. Caster Troy with the gold guns, absolutely. You know, and um, because Wu believed they were, ext- he thought, he believed he was making martial arts movies with guns, essentially. And therefore, their fighting styles should be representative of who they are as characters. And in his world, those fighting styles are their guns and and how they use them. And I think that's, that's what always works the best for me um, is, is if I'm feeling, you know, and, and I, I bring that up with Kaufman because Kaufman, especially when he's working with Johnny strong is very much the same thing. The way Johnny strong handles guns and uses guns in sinners and saints and daylights. And those weapons are unique extensions of his personality. 
at the end of the day, I don't care about CGI muzzle flashes. I don't care about fake guns. I don't care about any of that stuff. If it's safer, use it. I ultimately don't care. I notice it when the gunfight isn't telling me a story that I want, that that is an interesting story that in some way relates to the characters. Um, if you're giving me that, then I don't notice the CGI muzzle flashes. I, I just don't care. Um, no, no. Yeah, I don't. It's not so much the muzzle flashes. It is the interactive kind of like destruction. I think that actually blows the illusion more than, than the it muzzle does. And, and the other one, although I know we've talked about this, that's easier now that you've got the, um, the airsoft guns, the gas powered airsoft guns that actually have recoil and stuff. But when people first started using them, you know, they were using rubber guns and there's so you're seeing people fire and they're just the way their hands are moving, it's completely not realistic if you've ever fired a gun. So uh, once upon a time in Mexico is the, exactly, is the, exactly. the, the king know, of that, where he's just like whipping it around like it's a, you know. Yeah, it, it looks like he's playing with a toy uh, because he essentially is playing with a toy. Um, but um, but yeah, so for me, I think, and, and I think this is a question that's going to be even more interesting to answer in the future because obviously, you know, we've talked about Rust and what happened on that set on this show. I mean, I think gun battles are, and just given the nature of society, um, gun battles in movies, I think, are probably going to change a bit. And it'll be interesting to see. But I think as long as people can, filmmakers can keep in mind, they should still be an extension of the characters and used as a tool to help tell the narrative. Then I think they'll still be good, no matter what, whether they're CGI or whatever. I think we'll still have good gun battles. Yeah, well, before we, before we go into the next question, I just want to shout out another um on the subject, is a really great uh, YouTube essayist. He goes by the name of Accented Cinema. He's a Chinese uh, 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 essayist. And he has a lot of really good videos about action in general. And uh, I would definitely, if you're a fan of this podcast, you definitely want to follow him on YouTube. Um, and he has a, specifically, he has a great uh, pair of essays about, uh, they call it the birth of gun fu and the rise of gun fu. Like the, he's kind of re- retells history of Zhang Wu's uh, gun fu. And how it affects modern modern cinema. So yeah, uh, I would definitely get uh, his name is Accident Cinema. Definitely look him up YouTube and check those videos out. Those are really great um, explanation of explanation of this uh, topic. Do you guys remember um, just before we move on that the movie Ultraviolet and like like you know Kurt Warner like he was just that dude was just like snorting up Matrix like coke like he just couldn't get enough <laughs> and like i was watching the lobby scene of the matrix this morning and i just remembered there's a scene in ultraviolet where she literally comes into security with a bunch of guns and i'm pretty sure because my friend and i would, would laugh about this all the time that the security thing says weapons and then it says many like like a machine would say many it's yeah, so funny yeah. to me i just i always <laughs> laughed at that we'd always go weapons many uh anyway Sorry, I just I had to remember the good old days of the uh, of the Matrix ripoff. Well, and, and Wimmer's really interesting, not to derail us a bit, but Wimmer's really interesting because I happen to think his previous movie before Ultraviolet Equilibrium is, in fact, one of the finest gunfight movies that has ever been made. And then he gives us Ultraviolet, which... Yeah, I just it looks like ultraviolet that they're just like, you know what? We're not going to give you that extra five million in CG. Yeah, we're just just release this fucking thing. Yeah. Like, and so it, it did. It did look like it got handicapped, but um, yeah, it, he he even admitted that he like you know he saw Resident Evil and just like wrote this thing in a weekend, and it just it it felt like it, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It does have flaming swords? I mean, I will admit, Mila 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 wielding a flaming sword at the end of that movie is. 
I can't hate that. I cannot. No, hate- who's the dude from? It's from Chronicles of Riddick. I love that guy. Um, Tombs from Chronicles of Riddick is the bad guy in Ultraviolet. Yeah. Anyway, and it, it also had like the the six security guys surrounding someone in a circle. It's like they would all shoot each other. <laughs> it was like fantastic. Um, anyway, yeah. What are we? What are we? Cinema sins. Fuck off. <laughs> Um, all right, next one, we've actually got a little bit of an industry. It's from our our, our good, good friend, uh, Shafi Malik, who's been incredibly supportive of the show, runs the Who Dropped the Popcorn podcast, also one of my uh, go-tos for, uh, you know, things like Indian cinema and that. Uh, just if you're not following, just a really terrific guy. Um, now that big blockbusters are becoming available on streaming platforms via same-day strategy, do you think it gives a level playing field for smaller movies that would normally have a DTV market, or do you think that it's not making a difference to their chances? Liam, I'm going to go to you first, obviously, as, as the industry insider on this one. Um, and, and you can kind of take this question however you want to go, just if you've got any thoughts on it. or, or- I, I don't really have any data for it. I will say anecdotally for us, um, you know, Beyond Skyline was better because, you know, there's a number of different factors, but there it, it was like The Last Jedi was out in theaters and there was we were the big VOD release and there wasn't much else. And then by the time Skylines came out, we had like um, Max Cloud, we had uh, Breach. Um, there was just so many more movies coming out on the same date, um, taking the, and, and uh, to, to top it off, Wonder Woman 84 was on HBO Max. So there was a lot uh, more competition for the eyeballs and, and, and on that specific um week weekend compared to um two years previous or three years previous uh but that said i you know it's it's interesting i i really don't have the data to say um how that's affecting it i feel like um in the long run it's probably going to be good for the smaller movies but i i i don't really know you know it's like there's there was something to be said about like, you know, like the last Jedi being out in theaters. And then you'd see like the, the one of the number one VOD movies was actually force awakens. Cause people were just like excited about that. But if you can't make it, you you're going to go and find similar things because you can't make it to the theaters. But if the last Jedi were available, you know, on to, to, to be a, a VOD streamer that weekend, I can't help but feel like we would have done a lot less business. So um, yeah, for anecdotally, I, I don't feel like it. It's great, but um, there's other people that uh, would know this question better than me. And there's probably an argument to be said that like it actually, you know, more people sitting on their couch and ordering one movie probably means they're likely to order a second movie. I don't know. You know, there, there's counterintuitive things about the business that um, are always, you know, surprising and, and you, you learn, you know, the habits of people are not as predictable or, or based on your own uh, behavior as you think. So, um, you know, I, I, I see people like, um, you know, Jim Cunningham saying like, you know, like if, if you're making something slightly more offbeat, I think, um, you know, he, that guy's killing it. You know, I think it, it's gotta, you, you gotta work to kind of find your audience and, and, um, and, and find your own niche. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that there's definitely opportunities out there, but, um, Sorry, I can't give you a more conclusive answer. Well, I don't. I don't think anybody has one. So I don't think anybody was actually expecting you to. We're, we're kind of in, 
you know, we're in a sea change period right now. And so I don't think I think anybody that that pontificates about this stuff, like they have any actual like, you know, definitive knowledge is is probably just being a snake oil salesman, because I just I don't think any of us know. Uh, Vice, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, like you guys mentioned, the, the hardest part of this is that um the raw data is not just hard to get. It's, it's being intentionally withheld by these streaming services in particular, like not that they're yeah. lying, but like, they, you know, they, they do not, we, no one outside of the executives at Netflix or the actual data miners in the server server rooms have an actual idea, any idea of how well or how poorly the streaming movies are doing. What we have is their, their, their say so. So yeah, without that, nobody can really have any kind of positive, any kind of definitive answer. Um, beyond that though, I just, it is um culturally i guess i don't know it's uh well last in last in the war film episode we just did i talked about uh outside the wire starring anthony mackie you know one of my you know that's the total vice movie one of my favorites of the year like that would be a dtv not just dtv like thematically and structurally that movie is uh, very similar to um solo starring not the star wars one but solo starring Mario Van Peebles from 1998. It's about a black android who's a super soldier, whatever thing. Like, be, but be the, like Mike, and that's why. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, <laughs> right, so that, that had a theatrical release, but it had this kind of big heyday, preparing um on like Saturday Night HBO, and a lot of films they had like HBO and Showtime or Showtime Cinemax. They had a lot of films that were debuted specifically on their channels, like Friday Night, Saturday Night, and like. So, you know, and, and of course, this is, the, this is the whole concept of it's home box office. It's, uh, it's It was DTV, but not quite really DTV. So, like, mm-hmm. so the point being that these are made for streaming movies now, it's the same thing. It's, just, it's the same concept. It's now in a new, in a new um, um, form or format. Like, you know, that, that like, like one uh, outside the wire would have been just right alongside Solo if it came out, you know, 20 years ago. So, and so the point being in that regard, I don't think the market overall has changed dramatically, but I think these certain types of films, it's just the 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 modus the or the specific medium and delivery device has changed. They're still ultimately the same kinds of movies, you know. This is it's that same. Uh, here's a quick, you know, like a Saturday night, Friday night block, you know, low key blockbuster for you to have here on streaming or here, you know. Like I also one of the movies I talked about was uh, Encounter with uh, Riz Ahmed. You know, Amazon and, and all these, they're putting a lot of money into these things, but they don't necessarily need them to be uh, Academy uh, uh, Academy competitors. It's just, you know, the same kind of Friday night, Saturday night, you know, action or, or a big name in a small film kind of things. So that will never change, I think, you know, like no matter whatever happens in the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years, if if cinema dies or whatever, if the, or the theatrical experience dies, who knows what people are saying, those things are still going to exist. These, these home home movies as they were. Vice, what, what you were describing there was called a programmer. And uh, I met this old uh, this old sales dude. Uh, his name's Mark Damon. I think he works. He, he has his own company and he, he works with uh, uh, street, Screen Media now. Um, and I met him like, I don't know, 12, 10 years ago. And, uh, and, and he, he was like, we had this movie that was like a, a safari on an alien planet gone wrong. Um, that we were going to do with ADI. And he was like, what you boys have here is a programmer. 
<laughs> I never heard that expression before. Of course, it's an old, an old fashioned one. Anyway, it's like you're like, is that insulting? But now I'm like, no, those are my favorite type of movies. You know, like I yeah. I, I, I eat up a programmer. So yeah. those those never die, no matter what. <laughs> they won't. Yeah. Because there's always a need for to fill those slots, right? Um, the the two things that I think are, are kind of interesting about this. Um, is yeah kind of tagging on to what you were saying vice you know the other thing about a lot of these movies that has changed fundamentally is there's no forced scarcity anymore um so for instance solo solo actually came out when i was working at blockbuster and and several other movies you know and it was always one of those wait is this been established on the pod that mike worked at blockbuster I don't know if it's been established on this one, but I'm, I'm pretty upfront that, yeah, I, I worked. Up- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I have a beautiful mental image right now. It, it was not, it was not the experience I wanted. Um, <laughs> Blockbuster in general. I had visions of, I wanted to work at that video store where it's like people would come in, they'd want recommendations and I could recommend weird shit like Peter Jackson's dead alive. And stuff. yeah, that never happened at Blockbuster. <laughs> But nonetheless, what I would notice and anybody that worked at a video store would notice is where movies like Solo really made their bread and butter is when the big movie was all checked out and right next to it on the shelf was Solo. Um, people would just be like, oh, well, that, OK, that looks good. Let's do that. You know, and, and, and it, they would get a life because of the forced scarcity of not having 5,000 copies of interview with a vampire or whatever it may be. And um, I was just going to say, that's why I watched Warlock because interview the vampire was rented (laughs) out and you know, Julian Sands fan here. Yeah. And Warlock fucking slaps dude. That's a great fucking movie. Great great cover. Look at that. I just looked it up. That's, Oh, I can't believe you said interview with the vampire. And we don't, we don't have that anymore. Right. Because streaming doesn't have that built in the forced scarcity on streaming is not everything is available for streaming but there is no you know if you know whatever movie is streaming like i'm not saying it to pick on it i'm just picking the big example red notices you know if you want to watch red notice you don't have to worry about that you go to netflix you're going to be able to watch red notice you're not going to watch outside the wire because you go to netflix and Red notice is checked out. So I do think that is a different thing. And that that leads to my one concern with how streaming might affect this stuff, because as we know, all these all this money is fake. It's all fake. None of it's real. Like the way these streaming services do their books and do their accounting, it's it's completely imaginary Um, because, you know, you used to be able you put a movie out, you put Spider-Man No Way Home out. You know, we spent this much. I mean, and Hollywood's always doctored its books, but we spent X amount of money on this movie, X amount on marketing. We need Y number of butts in seats for us to make a profit. That doesn't work with streaming because you don't pay for views, right? So Netflix has this whole weird squishy thing of it's about subscriber retention and new subscribers and, and stuff like that and how many people subscribe and unsubscribe and resubscribe and what movies bring people back to Netflix. It's very mushy. Ultimately, what I think that's going to do is drive budgets down overall. And if budgets on the big movies get driven down, then the DTV, the low budget stuff, the stuff that we love is going to get hit even harder than it already has been. You know, we, we talked about 
this a bit when we talked about one shot that 20 years ago, one shot would have had a $40 million budget or a $30 million budget. Like it would have had a real budget, would have had a solo level budget. Um, and now it was 5 million and that was high, you know, for a, a lot of DTV movies. Like you said, Liam, you know, your, your budget and shooting schedule for Skylines was actually a little bit of a luxury compared oh, to yeah. a lot of other. Which, which was to me, it was like, um, it was a huge chunk down from beyond skyline. So in, um, yeah, like, like what you're saying, the, um, that there was like a, a little bit in hindsight, uh, a little golden era that is ending. And that was probably, I would say around 2012 or 13 to about, you know, 2019, which is like that Netflix was really spending a lot on the, like you're saying, the kind of middle-class or, or, or DTV, action and now it's like getting a movie made it, it it was a little bit easier to get something off the ground and and it's it's kind of funny when we talked about red notice it's like wow it took them like 10 years to just make a, a straight up normal blockbuster because everything that they were getting was sort of a little weirder and and uh and and darker and it was like you know um you know hold on to the dark and 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 these these kind of bad which speaking of a great gun battle that's an awesome gun battle but it's like challenging stuff was going to blockbuster because the biggest stars were still making things at the studios and now what's happened is that it's pretty much like getting something made at netflix is just as hard if not harder than getting something made at a studio it's 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 become a studio so that sort of like, um, like I was saying, sort of golden era of getting kind of dark, challenge, challenging, or even just kind of slightly weird shit like the stuff I did, uh, is 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 kind of over. It's it's now they 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 you know they're definitely trying to compete at the highest level, uh, and so it feels like you know. It, you really need star-driven stuff just like you need at, at, at a studio uh, or you need IP. And, and so it, it does feel a little, I would say, you know, th that part of it does feel a little sad because, um, but, you know, there's always going to be, you know, hopefully new people coming in uh, to compete, but um, there, there was a bit of an era there that um, maybe people didn't appreciate as much as they should have, but all those movies are still up there. Damn, you know what? I now I kind of feel sad now because you, you now that I kind of look back at this breadth of time you just mentioned, yeah, you're right. This uh, I don't know if I'll get a outside the wire too. No, just, <laughs> I'm not sure. No, outside, outside the wire, you will because that you know he's fucking Captain America. So it's yeah, like, that, 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 it, like Anthony Mackie's not a slouch. He's he's a star. Uh, yeah. He 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 can he he got that you know pretty big budget. But if you go back a few years, he was doing these sort of you know, uh, weirder indie stuff for yeah. that, that was winding up on Netflix. Um, you know, the time travel one, I saw yeah, one yeah. that was like post-apocalyptic where he shows up at this girl's farm. I can't remember it, but it's pretty good. Uh, and like, so he was doing a lot of that stuff cause he was still, you know, wasn't the star of, of winter soldier and Falcon, you know, now, now to get Anthony Mackie on board means you're going to get a pretty big budget, but the, you look at like, uh, that those you know I, i'm trying to i'm trying to stretching my brain to to think of things but it's uh 10 a.m on a sunday but yeah there was a lot of um you know just kind of peculiar and and, and like kind of challenging projects that they picked up and and made and everyone was kind of like oh is this even a movie and it's like yeah it's actually a pretty cool movie uh and and you're not going to 
really see those as much anymore unless they're coming at from like really you know people with a huge kind of following or um, track record but they took a lot of chances uh, in the past decade and and I think that's kind of what we're seeing the end of especially if you know like the HBO Max strategy especially if we are getting it which I know HBO's not doing that next year but you know if we're getting Wonder Woman same day at home I I just I I don't know I mean, I'm not the big theater guy. Like, I don't like going to the theater. I want them to exist. I want them to continue. So I like the same day and date release because I like to to be able to see these movies. But um, I do think that it's probably going to have more of a negative impact in the long run than it will have a positive in, impact if they uh, if they continue that sort of strategy. I, I think the sweet spot, I was talking to somebody else about this. I think the sweet spot is the, the new 45 day window that they sort of got. I, I think that's yeah. real sweet, you know, cause I'm again, an old, I'm old enough to remember when it took a movie like nine months to come out on VHS, right? Like if you didn't see it in the theater, your ass was waiting for a long time to watch that fucking movie. Um, and then it took even longer for it to hit like HBO and stuff like that, you know? And, and so, I remember Willow was like the longest I ever had to wait. And I was a huge Willow fan. I was just like, what happened to that movie? And my parents were like, well, they have to take the film and make it into a VHS. And I was like, what the fuck? They made it seem like it was a magical process that took a year. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, well, it was like No Time to Die was a perfect example. Like I just waited and, and I was happy to pay the whatever it was 20 or 30 bucks for the premium video on demand when that hit when the 45 day window was up happily paid that and it was fine and i didn't feel like i had waited so long to watch the movie that i had you know that it had fallen out of the public con obviously it didn't because i still get tweets about not liking that movie yeah. <laughs> so well. obviously i was still able to tap into the discourse uh I, I think that's i think that's the future i think that's the right answer give us that like 30 to 45 day window so people can see it in theaters if they want to the theaters get some money but then we can also see it those of us that don't want to go can see it at home more quickly and not feel like we've missed out on all the fun of engaging in you know sort of a social the social aspect of movies All, All right. right. Yeah. Next uh, one. Andrew Clark. Uh, this is the one that got the most traction. I I I I I I am just kind of going through the list here, but I I think we should, you know, we can talk about it now. Um Kumite, Kumite, Kumite. If if the three of us were to enter the Kumite, who would come out on top? There were a lot of opinions about this. There was also <laughs> me outing myself as a guy with a sword problem um, <laughs> good problem to have as we all know i have so many guys you cannot even conceive of how many swords i own <laughs> um but ultimately i think i know this i am not coming out on top of the human no no you are i think aaron aaron already wrote the scene and it worked really well <laughs> It was it was Vice and I both completely overlooking you uh, coming out like in in our me coming out in like DX wear, you know, like like uh, doing my suck it dance and spitting water into the air, flexing as hard as I can, feeling all good. Vice just coming out with like a thousand yard dark emo boy stare and me being like, 
oh shit, I can't hurt this man. Uh, but you know, we go at it, um, pummeled. Uh, I cheat because uh, let's be honest, I, I'm, I, I would totally throw the shit in your eyes and, and get get vice all, you know, Van Damme doing his slow mo look around. Ah! But he finally gets me in, in his grip. And it's like he's about to win. It's over. And then both of our heads get cut off by uh, Mike's katana blades. Uh, the two heads roll to the ground before him as he does his, you know, amazing pose and, and scene. So th- there's our winner. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do better than that. I mean, I should, that's, that's, like, that's how I'm going to go. I just, I just imagine Vice in a ring, like, you know, getting low to the ground and just suplexing the shit out of everybody, like fucking Taz back in his ECW day. <laughs> EC dub, EC dub. <laughs> well, okay. Here's a quick fun story. I just uh, so when I was in the army, I was running the uh, combatives. You know, it's like the um, it's like the uh, grade school level of uh, uh, martial arts slash jiu-jitsu, um, like self defense thing. But it's not really. Um, it's really more like a, a confidence builder. Honestly, you gotta actually like train for it, like any martial art. Or really get into it to like, actually use it properly. So anyway, so this is in Korea, and so we had the our instructor. It was like a week, two week plus course. So it was the basic combatives plus like a little extra like extra move stuff. The two instructors were these like crazy special forces dudes, Green Beret dudes, and like he's like you know like yeah you know so when you, when you get in the armbar once you got it sometimes you know just go ahead and go ahead and stop it see what it feels like. I'm like yo what the fuck are you talking about dude like we just we just traded <laughs> you know and like. And then uh, one of the uh, requirements of the course is that you have to get uh, choked out, so you know what it feels like, and you know, you know how. So you, you know, also confidence, confidence builder. You know, you're not gonna die. You just... And the other instructor, his his, co- his partner, was he was like a human gorilla. He was like big as wide as he was tall, and he was like six feet tall. <laughs> and so we would all line up, woke up to him, woke up to him, and get cradled into his, his massive bosom, and he would just. You can't see me, but like, he would just. Rap slowly and like he had a like deep way. You ready? And he would just squeeze like a friendly snake, and then you would be, then you'd be asleep. And then you wake up. It was just like it was just the weirdest thing. These 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 killers of men do this weird stuff to us. But then, so the last part though, after the that sounds kind of intimate and nice. Like maybe that's the way I want to die. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the nature of combat, I guess. You know, you gotta get get over that. Anyway, just I mean, someone just say it, you're ready, and you're like, okay, just yeah. end it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, like it, Liam Neeson in the gray, just look in my eyes as he strangles me to death. <laughs> but, but you know, he wakes you up with like nice little like chest rub. You're good, you're good. It's fine, it's good. But so, so the last weekend, so this was in Korea, by the way. So the last week of it, the last few days, we had a uh, the special forces guy's friend was an actual ranked uh jiu-jitsu player of a fighter so he came over to the gym and he and like you know he's guys like a master level guy but he was like he said uh show, show me what you got so he we would roll with him and you know of course he would like deflect and glance off all of our moves because we, we just learned this shit but you know the point was that like, he was supposed to get comfortable with like trying stuff and you know and he would give us pointers every now and then on how to how to get out of it and out of it so it was just funny like i'm trying to fight with this master level fighter and it was like a we, we had just beat each other up for two weeks and it was like I was back at square one again. <laughs> but it was so cool. You're like, next time I'll try this, next time I'll try that. And my and my LT, um, a lieutenant, he he actually had previous experience and he would fight other LT like for like uh for bragging rights. 
and he the the, the, the fighter showed him like this cool move to do and he like he beat him next next time they fought he beat him with that move it was really cool wow. <laughs> so all to say is um yes i probably could do kumite but i'm also <laughs> old and fat and beat up and have a bum leg now so like I, I, like what's this ring oh if I, if I catch you i'll fuck you up but yeah. you like start moving <laughs> i'm done i can't catch <laughs> nobody <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah. incredible, incredible as as we as we knew it would be. Thank, um, thank you, Andrew, for that uh, that question. Um, all right, we just have a few left, so I'm going to kind of bounce through them a little a little more quickly here. Um, this one's pretty straightforward from our our friend of the show, Derek Manette. Uh, favorite hand to hand fight scene and or favorite action scene ever. Uh, action scene could be car chases, gun chases, stuff like that. Um, uh, you know this. This question out of all of them, I racked my brain on because how do I pick? But uh, Liam, what 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 popped into your mind? Uh, you know, the kitchen fight in Raid 2 really pops in my head when I think of the hand-to-hand fight scene. Um, and I think it is a lot of the shot design and the way everything escalates into that end. And, uh, and uh, amazing shot of Eco after he uh, takes out... Uh, the other dude's throat um favorite action scene ever it's hard to say i think you know and both of these you, you're gonna have a million ones that would change over the years i think the one the the one that that definitely stuck with me the most over the past decade would probably be the the polecats from fury road just you know that that whole kind of third act uh is definitely up there for favorite action scenes of the decade um, how about you yeah yeah i think Fight scene, actually pretty simple. I'm pretty confident that uh, there's little argument or contention that the, maybe the best hand-to-hand fight scene ever filmed was uh, Joker Master 2, the final finale, uh, Jackie Chan versus Ken Lo. I mean, just that's just art. That's, that's, that's the Sistine Chapel, you know what I mean? You know, and of course, if people could think of other, maybe quote-unquote better fights, but you know, that's pretty tough to beat in my eyes. Um, but as far as favorite action scene, yeah, like I said, there's very too many to name. But I think one that sticks out, um, it's just like a maybe one of the finer or more um, subtle but powerful scenes is in Ronin, the car chase scene, uh, with the you know the, like I don't know it's something about it. It's, it's it's just so it's hard to describe. It's just so elegant, you know. But there's also like this this big. It's not let's say a macho movie, but there's you know he still comes up from the top of the car, the sunroof, with a fucking giant rocket launcher and blasts the car. You know, it's, it's all this stuff is moving together beautifully, but also there's this like you know hammer of a of a moment. So yeah, that's probably one of my one of that I think I'll stay with me to you know to the end of my days is that that the Ronin scene that was a great one. Yeah, when they get on the the freeway and they're going the wrong way, I think that was one that that always stuck with me. It's yeah. like whoa, and it and it feels and, so and, visceral and real. Yeah, and like you you could argue you know like you could argue the uh, Matrix or uh, Reloaded car chase hot freeway scene is you know maybe better quote unquote but like like i said something about the elegance of ronan what like it stands out to me more than the big blockbuster stuff that we see in other stuff yeah i am um, i ronan i like to use the word elegant because ronan you know john frankenheimer was just an elegant director he was very tight he was very careful with what he did um for me the favorite my favorite hand-to-hand scene was pretty easy for me to come up with i don't think it's the best i i I, i'm not going to argue that it's drunken master two level good but it's when i think of what i think my favorite hand-to-hand scene is it's donnie yen and colin chu from the end of flashpoint i just i think that that fight is 
And it's so moved. I think, you know, it was really Donnie bringing MMA into modern martial arts uh, cinema. And they, those motherfuckers just look like they're trying to kill one another in that fight scene. Like you just can't for best action scene. I really, really, I was like John Woo scenes and all of this stuff. What about the finale and hard target? And then something, the clouds kind of parted and it's not a movie I talk about very much, but it is one of my absolute favorite action scenes, which is um, the shootout at the okay corral in tombstone. Uh, Oh yeah. I think is just such a, a, I mean, Tombstone just rules no matter what, but that is just such a tense, tight, well-constructed, well-designed gunfight, especially if you're like me and you kind of for a while went through a Wyatt Earp phase and watched all the other Wyatt Earp movies. And it's it's so modern and it's so fresh. Um, but unlike some of the older ones, I think it still holds up now 30 years later. Uh, because it was so modern at the time that they did it. And, you know, I don't know whether it was Cosmatos or Russell. There's all sorts of behind the scenes stuff on, on Tombstone. But I actually think that's a really terrific. And you've got the great Stephen Lang just, you know, cowarding it up, talking shit right before the whole fight and then like running his ass off like the coward he is in that movie. Um, you know, it, that, that's, that's one that, that's, that's near and dear to my heart for sure. You know, I was just just because again, I just watched it again just before, but I just want to point out there's just this incredible part in Matrix at the end when when he falls from the helicopter and it's like a three shot progression where he lands, he looks at the rope, he looks up and he says Trinity and he starts grabbing the slack of the rope. And it's just like there's something about those three shots that are like they give me chills just thinking about it. And that end shot where she comes and you know you think everything possible has already happened in the shot and then she smashes into the glass in the foreground it's just like it's breathtaking well and it's like it's like myth making at its finest right it really it's is literally yeah. the legend be born right there and yeah yeah absolutely all right next one um is from aaron our good friend uh kick-ass uh kick-ass vargas uh who we can kind of tie this a little bit into the Kumite one, but it's pretty straightforward. We're in a one versus many fight and we are allowed to pick one hero and one villain from martial arts movies as our backup to help us out. Could be from any era. I'm going to answer this one first. Cause for me, it's, it's basic as hell, but it's also, I think the right answer. I want Rama and mad dog from the raid. Like, you can't take my guys, motherfucker. <laughs> and also that's my answer too. Like it's it's like it seemed like an interesting question, and I was like, no, it's not because it's fucking Rama and Matt. Like, why would you take anybody else? <laughs> All right. Well, we I think we checked that one off pretty quick because I was like, I'm gonna, hey guys, I'm gonna be a narcissist and take my 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 guys, but uh, you took you guys all took them, so there oh, you like, go. I didn't even ask these guys before before this. We we we, we uh. We knew this question was going to come, but like I didn't ask them. Like that's my, those are my guys too. Like oh. yeah, yeah, none of us, well, I think I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody even on Twitter said that. Like, it's like why we're just we're you've got the best of the best. That's it. That's it. That's all you need. You you've got those two guys. I'm I'm not even fighting if I have those two guys. I'm out a lawn chair and cracking a beer and just saying, "Go for it, boys. Do your thing." Yeah, you know, I, I did my I thought you were going to go undisputed, too. You get, you know, Michael J. White and Atkins, you know, that that's a pretty good 
rival gang there. Um, I don't think he was saying that they both have to be from the same film. So no, maybe he, I would. He wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think it's kind of cooler if it is. So yeah, we we did it. <laughs> All right, next one um, from our friend Michelle Egan, uh, who has the Movies for Life podcast, and she's just also adorable and one of my very favorite people. Um, favorite women in action. Um, a topic that often, you know, that we try and talk about as much as we can, but can always be talked about more. Um, so Vice, I'll go with you first. Who's your who's your fave? Hmm. Well, I guess first you got to the gold standard, I think, is, you know, Michelle Yeoh, I think, just personally. But of course, you know, all the other great uh, bombshells of the Hong Kong era. Uh, but uh, I guess I'll give uh, even this is more difficult to answer than the actual action sequence one because there's so many. Really great women in our history. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, I call her the Ivory Tower, Charlize Theron, because uh, you know she she's always uh, like she always is in it 100 all the fights. You know she has a she's a not a not a small woman, and she uses her uh, grace and also her size and her to her advantage all the time in her movies. Like whoever she's fighting, she's always great. Oh yeah, so she's up there for me. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you know, Fury Road. That, that, that. Yeah, so I'll say for now, like I guess for like the current running, like it'll be her, Charlize Theron. Even though she's not, she's not really known as an action actress, but like she, you know, she can do it all. So I think she equips herself really well. Liam, how about you? Uh, yeah, it's hard to argue with uh, with Charlize. Um, I'd say uh, the sort of and not even up and coming, but I'm, I'm definitely a fan of uh, Julia Stell. Uh, you know, it's been in, in Timo and, and Gareth's movies. Um, I'd love to see her kind of branch out and do something uh, in the States as well. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of Elodie Young. I know another person, uh, you know, Jonathan Howard from Skylines is, is, uh, is, is uh, married to, to Elodie and, got to meet her very nice one but i think she's kind of underrated in, in her work that she did in daredevil and yeah, she was uh, awesome she with that put, yeah put in a great decade of, of action work and um yeah so that, that's some of my more more underrated picks yeah i kind of i kind of wanted to, to pick a couple of underrated ones too just because I, i'm with you vice for me the gold standard is michelle yo it's it's always going to be michelle yo it's never you know and so it's almost kind of boring to bring her up because she's the queen you know it's kind of like bringing up cynthia rothrock i mean they're just yeah they're, they're the top of the mountain they're <clears throat> um so for me I, I narrowed it down to two one uh, which is gonna sound like i'm just sucking up to liam but i'm really not i absolutely love her rona mitra has long been one of my favorite women in action um i i just I thought what she did in Doomsday for all the flaws that that movie has, I thought what she did in Doomsday, I thought that movie would kick her into the stratosphere because she was so cool in it. Um, and then the other one is no one second for Doomsday. It's funny when we're talking about the streaming and stuff. I feel like if that movie had been a Netflix movie, it's like it, that's so what it was meant for, you know, and they're trying to push that into, you know, a bunch of theaters. And yeah. It was like it was at the time when there was confusion it felt like between like what would get buzz online and what people would actually show up for you have sort of that uh you know I, I can't even remember exactly what year that was but it was sort of um you know we called it sort of like the ground grindhouse effect you know like it, it was the buzziest and snakes on a plane they were the buzziest movies on ain't a cool message boards everyone was all talking about them and then they'd make like 15 million opening weekend you'd be like oh 
I guess there, there's some confusion over you know what everyone is excited in this niche and then what is real and uh doomsday yeah it was just ahead of its time it's like it's so meant to just be you know a, a, a banger to go right on streaming for a weekend anyway sorry no and, and you know and you're right i mean i've always said you know it's one of my favorite movie going weekends i saw that and never back down back to back in the theater it was it was glorious uh and both of them made five bucks at the box office but um <clears throat> it, <sighs> And two other people but um no the other one and it's primarily because she didn't get to work as much as she should and people keep wanting to hire her now but it, it due to some bullshit in the thai film industry and a whole variety of things but uh gija yan and i legitimately think was and hopefully will be again one of the most exciting female action stars in the world if you've never seen chocolate um, the shit that she does in that movie is, is unreal. And, uh, you know, I was so happy to see her show up in triple threat. Um, I know that, uh, I know that Scott and some other people have been trying to get more projects off the ground with her again, but, um, you know, we'll see, but, uh, at least we got a couple of just absolute bangers out of her, uh, chocolate being the, the big one, a movie that, you know, that plays a little problematically let's, I'll be honest with you, but, um, from just a fight standpoint, it's, it's an all timer in my opinion. So those would be, those would be the ones I'd throw out. And you mentioned last week with Hawkeye, I mean, Heidi, Heidi Moneymaker is probably the, uh, she's kind of like the most influential female action star behind the stars for the past decade. You know, all the everyone, if you were to ask the average person, you know, who's been in the, the, the most movies doing the most female oriented action, it's probably that character Black Widow over the past decade and all these huge movies. And, and she, you know, not only performed her, but now she's kind of actually directing the stunts and stuff. So I definitely have to have to mention her when we talk about women in action. Yeah, you've really got her and Amy Johnston doing just so much stuff, both in front and behind the camera, um, especially in terms of Western action actresses there and stunt people. They're 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 really at the top um, and they're both terrific. Um, all right. Uh, so we've got just a couple just a couple others. Um, so our good friend uh, Larry from Woovember, uh, who apparently loves nothing more than tormenting Liam with questions about money. So he sent um, or or about my calves and uh, the picture from the gym. He's, he's like, it was like fucking examining my gym pic, like it was the Zapruder film. Um, I, Larry is hilarious, and I even asked him in our DMs. Like he, his question is, here's my question: um, Can you tell how they decide a percentage a director gets from the profits of a movie based on the amount of purchases on streaming and whether or not the numbers of viewers of streaming movies happens in a particular window of time affect those numbers? So I I was telling the DM, like, why do you care? Are you working in the industry? Like, what? Wait, what? I honestly, I've been in this business for like 15 years. And when people start talking to me about this stuff, I can't help but start snoozing off. Like, and it, it actually affects my life. You, this doesn't affect your life at all. And you're like zeroing in on these particular windows. I just, I, I always laugh at them because I'm like, are you starting a production company? What, what are you going to do with this knowledge? Um, so no, I can't tell you anything about any of that. It's, it's not particularly interesting to me at this time. <laughs> So much for the inside baseball shit, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, like, all right, fine. Can it, it? It's literally, it's, it's, it's what your lawyer and your rep, you know, negotiate with you on each deal. And there's all these little specific things 
within those windows. But my advice to any starting filmmakers is uh, just get the biggest upfront fee you can. Don't ever fucking believe any of this stuff for the back end because I've never seen the only back end that has hit me on, on my movies is anything guild based. Um, so like I, a huge mistake for me to not leverage the first skyline into becoming a, a WGA movie. And I kind of had the leverage cause they had all these points for me and I was like, Oh, and they're like, well, those points are worth this and that. And, um, you know, if obviously if the movie had, had done better than they, they may have been, but they can always hide that shit and always say, well, no, no, actually, you know, this PNA against that, we're still in the red. Um, so I would just always try to try to negotiate as big an upfront fee you can do not uh, assume that you're going to make any money on the back end. And, uh, and, and if you can get into any of the guilds, uh, DGA or WGA, do that um, because um, the residuals are are the most you know bankable back end that you're going to see on a movie. Well, there's at least a little inside baseball. Yes, yeah, <laughs> we got something. But I mean, this guy's questions are hilarious. Okay, <laughs> and then what is the best sci-fi action movie of all time? Um, well, I've just been saying it all. Highlights. Fucking <laughs> yeah, right. I've been saying it all, all pod block. So I'm gonna go with the the Matrix as of right now. I think if you had told me when I was ten, I would have uh, I would have said uh, you know Terminator Two, uh, Aliens is up there as well. But I still kind of put Aliens in more of the sci-fi action horror, um, same as Predator. And as much as I love. Uh, all three of those movies, I think for when you get to an actual just boots on the ground action filmmaking, I still think The Matrix is uh, unparalleled. So that's my answer. Vice, how about you? My brain says Matrix, my heart says Blade. So I, you you know, I that. wanted to mention the intro to Blade when we talked about great, you know, action scenes. And, yeah. and, and I forgot to bring it up. So, well, because like you know, my, my whole I wrote a, literally a thesis on this for my for my um degree, you know, like how Blade is the progenitor of not just the Marvel, the Marvel dominance or superhero dominance, but also even even the the Matrix wouldn't. I don't think I, with some research in this, I don't think the Matrix would have been quite as accepted. Maybe if kind of Blade didn't come in like not to say that Blade influenced the production of the because you know it was only a year apart but of course they were making it longer than that but um the audience being primed for that kind of high flying martial arts seat like uh special effects unique mix you know the, the western influence and the eastern kung fu I think Blade more than anything primed audiences for what would then blow up with the Matrix so I, I if nothing else I think maybe Blade is the most, maybe the most important um, sci-fi action movie of, of the 20th. Well, uh, well, that would become of the Just do it. Century. Just do it. Just say it, baby. Oh, get, shit. Get it the crowd. Let's get this get spicy. Yeah. Blade is the most perfect movie of the 21st century. Like, again, I wrote this shit in a, in a, in a, and I got a paper. I got, a, I got an A minus. So I would have given you an A plus. <laughs> Wait, like, like, again, like, there, it's, its influence is felt even now. And so I would say Blade. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so I was looking over at my shelves. I'm going to be even spicier than vice here, actually. Uh, I'm looking over at my shelves and because I immediately thought aliens. That's the first one that popped into my mind. 
Yeah. And then, Liam, when you said the Matrix, I'm like, of course. And then I looked over at my shelf and I'm like, it's fucking face off. What am I even doing here? It's fucking face off. <laughs> time is face off. Like, why am I even screwing around with this? They take his face off. It's fucking face off. Like, yeah. So my answer, John Woo's 1997 epic face off. <laughs> There's no wrong yeah, answer here. Those yeah, are all shit. great choices. Um, all right. So our good friend Shane, uh, Shane Logan's asked us a bunch of questions. If you guys are okay, I want to wrap this up by just picking one of his questions. And it's basically because I just watched it. I just binged it. I still have a smile on my face from it. Uh, who is each of your favorite Cobra Kai characters? <laughs> oh, man. So I just finished season four. So no spoilers because I know it just came out. Fucking great show. Oh, man. I, I, I'm kind of on the road with Robbie. You know, the, he's the son of Johnny Lawrence, if you guys, for guys who haven't seen the show yet, you know, it takes place, it's modern day, the blonde-haired kid from the original Karate Kid is our loser who starts, who reopens Cobra Kai to help a younger kid, you know, deal with bullying. Um, but Johnny Lawrence, he has a son now who's uh, he's uh, estranged from. And his journey is, you know, from, he goes to both uh, Miyagi and Cobra Kai and, you know, all these other schools and factions and his growth as a person, you know, through the, through the karate and and then it comes to a head in this season. If you you will see it if you've been watching, where even he seems like he can't escape these cycles of violence because that's what the show really is. It's these cycles of trauma and violence and stuff. You know, it's, even though it's a fun like Disney Channel telenovela, it's just serious stuff going on in the show. But yeah, I think overall, Rob, Robbie's his arc has been really powerful and moving to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a team Robbie. Plus, like plus the, the actor himself, uh, he has a really good martial arts fighting screen presence like he can like he can be an actual a legit uh action film if he wanted to like he's that good now so yeah he's, he's the next the he's the next cam gigant all right how do you say the last name <laughs> <Second> day <laughs> <laughs> liam i don't even know if you've i asked this with yeah that. yeah i did the first two seasons and i i'm I got to finish season three and, and catch up with you guys. But I mean, it's obvious for me, uh, I, I'd like to, you know, um, drink uh, Coors Banquet beers with uh, with Johnny Lawrence all day. I mean, that's kind of that, that that's my avatar in this movie in this show. So, um, yeah, so I we binged. I mean, people saw our drunken New Year's Eve pictures uh, that we were binging Cobra Kai celebrating New Year's Eve. And it was honestly one of the best nights my wife and I have had in way too fucking long. Um, and it was, it was, and it was because of a lot, obviously because I was with Kelsey, but also Cobra Kai, because I, I tweeted this other shows should be embarrassed. They're not as good as Cobra Kai. This fucking legacy sequel from a series of movies in the eighties, two of the sequels, a lot of people think are kind of, you know, not great. Shall we say and this fucking show comes along from the writers of Arrested Development and manages to be the best goddamn thing on television. Are you kidding me? Like, we live in miraculous times that we have Cobra Kai. Um, it's hard to pick a character because every character has so many arcs and goes. But for me, especially coming off of season four, and I'll avoid spoilers, I think Hawk has maybe the most interesting arc in the entire show right now. Um because vice you mentioned it's all about these cycles of violence and and violence perpetuating violence and bullying perpetuating bullying and he like is the thesis statement of the show because he's done all of it he's 
been bullied, been the bully, fought, not fought, um, been good, been bad, all of it, um, all in a journey to figure out just who he actually is. Um, and I found, especially in season four, his arc to be just riveting. And it's like low key going on in the background for the most part. It's not like at the forefront, they're not, it's just sort of low key happening as, as the rest of the stories are going on. Um, So I'm going to say at this point, I'm going to say Hawk is actually my favorite character on the show Um, and, or Eli, depending on what you prefer, but um, all right, boys, do you want to, anything else you want to say? I know, like I said, I know Shane asked us a lot of questions, but I also know we want to try and wrap it up. And I thought that was a good way to end, but if you want to address anything else he asked us, you've got the doc feel free. And uh, otherwise we can wind it down here. I was just going to say, I wanted to, Thank everybody um, for the past year. And even the last episode, you know, I did not, I'm not comfortable being a film critic. It's not something I've ever done before. I've ever kind of set out to do. And uh, even when I started this pod, I I told both you guys, I'm going to stay on the positive side. And so I really, really felt uncomfortable um, with last week's pod, you know, criticizing some of my heroes uh, in in the Matrix Resurrections. And I was really waiting for someone to be like, who the fuck do you think you are uh, to say anything about them? And uh, no one said it, but I was saying it to myself. And I I, I just want to say, I'd agree with you if you did think that, um, you know, the Wachowskis have achieved their goals, like my wildest dreams several times over. Uh, and so it, it's it's something I, I I just also felt like I was wrestling with that like you guys um, obviously both Vice and Mike but I'm I'm actually talking to the listeners that you guys kind of know my voice at this point and you know when I'm being authentic or not so I'm still kind of finding my way on this because um, you know it, it's a it's a weird middle ground like I would not want to run into Keanu and be like Liam O'Donnell uh, you are the one who didn't like. You know, I would that would be like a fucking nightmare. So I, you know, like I, I'm still trying. And, and if I, and, you know, and 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 Lana, like if I ever saw them, like I, it it would be or met them, I'd be like a puddle on the floor. So it is it is something I I'm still trying to navigate and um and figure out. But um, you know, I am trying to come at it from a very honest place and a, a place of affection and um and trying to you know, wrestle with intent and, and wrestle with expectations and not really put it on, um, you know, if something doesn't work, it's really, it's really that it doesn't work for me. And I was trying to frame that um, conversation last week, but I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. And um, yeah, I'm going to keep kind of finding my way with this, but, uh, and I, I actually decided to finally, after um, years of resisting, start a letterbox account and uh, kind of start at least tracking the stuff. I'm not sure I'm going to how comfortable I'm going to be with rating things or whatever, but um, yeah. So uh, I'll I'll drop that in, in Twitter, and and uh, it's going to be the same name, Liam Odin, and uh, kind of finding my way with this in, in 2022. I just wanted to say, Liam, that you you hit the word on the right. I like you were way more worried about. So then I think either Vice or I were um, as far as because you said it, you are being authentic. It, nobody expects every filmmaker to like every film that comes out. Hell, most creatives don't like everything that they've ever done. You know what I mean? Like, like 
I mean, part of the reason that, that we kind of, I kind of stopped, uh, I don't, I'm not going to have Scott on every episode of Adkins Undisputed is there were just some movies where he's like, Nate, I, I really cannot talk about this movie. I really just do. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't name any movies or anything, but you know, I mean, it, we all have taste. The, the question is, are you coming at it from a place of authenticity? And, and I, I think it was pretty clear in that episode that you were. Um, you had a, a strong reaction to that movie. It wasn't a cruel or mean or, or um, you know, awful reaction. It was just, it was a strong reaction. And I, I there's nothing wrong with that. I, I would like to hope that, that nothing you ever do on this show would ever, you know, burn any bridges for you. I would, I know Hollywood folks are sensitive, but I would hope they're a little less sensitive than our silly ass podcast, um, you know, or a little more sensitive than, uh, you know, tougher than what's said on our silly ass podcast, like actually hurting them. Uh, I'm a look, people be on the internet talking shit. That's what the internet is for. And then, like, if you want to be a bully, you're like, you know, oh, fuck this guy. I'm, I'm going to dox him, you know, whatever, like, First of all, you're an asshole. Second of all, you're immature. Third of all, you don't deserve movies. If you want to be that way, so whatever the dude got to say about the Matrix, that's that's you. What it is, it was all right. Like I said, what about race war? That's what I want. Thank you, Lionel, for the movie, but that's what I want. I paid money. For, that's what I want. But also, so that's one thing. Also, like the famous story about uh, you know Francois Truffaut. He's like he's you know right right criticism, and he's like you know. Somebody was like, "Why don't you make your own movie?" And then he did, and he made the 400 Blows, one of the greatest movies of all time. But like, you know, I'm not saying that Beyond Skyline is the 400 Blows. You know, there's 400 Blows in it, maybe more so. But also, it's like this motherfucker. This motherfucker you listen to now, he's in the shit. He's in the trenches doing this shit. He made his own DIY kaiju franchise. Did, can you do that? I can't do that shit. I, I'm over here trying to learn how to how to do a uh, cross-site super attacks like that. My, my whack ass cybersecurity degree. That, look, this is like the real deal. This is like this is the man is real deal. He's in the film industry trying to do shit for y'all. Like that's good and like hopeful and like you know like positive. It's not the same old bullshit that we you know everybody's crying about. Oh, why are they making forty five Spidermans? Or you know why are they making all these whack ass uh, liquid speech movies that about the, the, the child exploitation or whatever whatever dumb shit they want to say? Because everybody's dumb. Move <laughs> out here. I doing this thing. Getting. Feedback from y'all, positive and negative. Right. Eating, 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 the, eating the beef, doing the thing. <laughs> I love you, Mike. Like, fantastic. You know, and I'm, just, I'm not just saying this because he got me on the podcast. You know, he got me on the podcast. It's like, you know, he, like, this is, we're trying to do this thing wherever the fuck cinema is going to be in the next, the future, whether theaters die or the world ends or whatever. We're trying to do this shit together. That's the whole point of this shit. So, like, we want y'all to, like, y'all listening. To be get to get to be together with us, and whether you if you got beef or something too, that's part of it. You want to fight about it, that's okay. We, we can hash it out. Just don't be an asshole about it. That's the big thing. So, anyways, I, like I said, thank you all for listening. So you know, so far, and I'm really happy happy to have this mailbag Q and A questionnaire thing going on. We will definitely want to have more in the, you know in the near future, um, and we'll we'll, ha- we'll build out how both this podcast. And any other endeavors in the future will, will pan out. But again, I think it is vital that we always have you all listening as a part of it as well. Um, that's all I wanted to say, because I know one of the questions was y'all, y'all wanted me to go off, and 
I don't really script these things, but y'all motherfuckers make me mad sometimes. So I got. <laughs> Now, one of Shane's questions was, "Can Vice go off on something?" So you're <laughs> Shane. Um. Love it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I I should be even spitballing this at the end, but I do feel like it'd be cool to do in action for everyone movie night, and we could kind of all watch a movie together on Twitch, and everyone could watch, and someone who knows uh, that technology, hint hint, Mike uh, could organize <laughs> that, and we could figure that out, like you know, once a month or everything like that. I think would be awesome. There's better ways to do it than Twitch. We actually did it. Um, I did it at the start of the pandemic. Uh, a handful of us got together and watched Avengement um, and were chatting and, and did a little watch, a little Avengement watch party right around the time I, I started um, Adkins Undisputed because I, I, I was trying to sort of get people invested in it. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, maybe I, I, I kind of feel like we might need to do skylines as the first one just uh to get an official director's commentary um even though you know those those do already exist but uh yeah no we'll, we'll do beyond skyline and then you know we'll, we'll sandwich it but yeah i did the i did the beyond skyline with the with the netflix party and it's just like i'm fucking typing the whole time i'd rather just you know <laughs> be watching it and shooting the shit with you guys we can do that too um yeah that's something we, we got plans folks um we want to just we want to thank everybody for listening the support's been great um every week when we drop a new episode you guys are just the kindest people you know um and 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 we really appreciate that because i tend to not have the thick skin that vice and liam have so i sometimes tend to go off a little bit when people piss me off and uh and i appreciate that everybody's been very nice about this uh, about this show and very kind so um Boys, we'll do it again next week. And we should have some actual news and some actual trailers and stuff to talk about next week. So, um, Liam, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and soon enough, Letterboxd, uh, wasting more time doing, <laughs> doing work for big tech that isn't paying me. <laughs> and Vice, uh, where can people find you? As always, I'm on Twitter, at Vicefictus, and Instagram as well, and Letterboxd, uh, talking shit. And, uh, and again, reminder that Vice and I did just drop the war film, the 2021 in war films retrospective. And uh, so if you haven't listened to that, please do so. You can find me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter and Letterboxd. Find the show at A4E Podcast on Twitter. Uh, and someday you'll find it on Instagram too, except for the fact that I fucking hate Instagram. So I, I haven't, uh, haven't used it very much. So, um, but other than that, we'll talk to everybody next week. Boys, love you both. Love you guys. Take care. Cheers.